and welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. Uh, another special episode here, doing it on our, a not-so-normal night here on Friday. We're doing episode number 465. We're having a discussion on Calvinism. This is a part two discussion that we've had with both these brothers here, and Christopher Connor and Dan Beitzel. And uh, this is going to be a more... Um, <clears throat> narrowed down conversation because we're going to talk about two specific texts a text that was brought up in the last discussion first corinthians uh one verses 22 through 25 and then ephesians 1 4 in that 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 first uh, um chapter of ephesians and so we're going to talk about these we're going to kind of break these down into two segments two half hour segments and uh let these brothers kind of discuss it and so what we're going to do first is start with uh, Dan Beitzel's uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 25. This is the passage that came out last time and that he wanted to discuss. So I'm going to give him some time to explain his position on this, and then we'll have uh, the rest of that first 30-minute segment to kind of go back and forth between Christopher and Dan on that. So go ahead, Dan, and give your introduction to this passage. All right. Well, good to be on the radio show again, Ricky. Appreciate it. Thank you, Chris, for being here. And hopefully we can honor the Lord Jesus Christ with rightly handling his word and seeking to do justice to the interpretation of the text for the sake of his people who are listening and for the glory of our Lord Jesus. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses, I actually did 22 to 24 was my, my cutoff on that section here. So two categories of people are being represented in these verses, clearly both Jew and Gentile. Jews demand signs. They wanted a visible affirmation of the truth, and Greeks seek wisdom. They're looking for a high and lofty, sophisticated understanding of uh, what Paul is preaching, and they wanted to be able to have it rationally explained to them. Paul yet says that he preaches Christ crucified. So Paul is preaching the gospel. That's what I believe is meant there when he says that he preaches Christ crucified, he's preaching the gospel. And this is indicative of the first call. So there are two calls at play in these verses. Firstly, the general and universal call, which is Paul preaching Christ crucified. And both categories of people hear this message, both Jew and Greek. And of course, this is speaking in general terms about all types of people universally. So then to the Jew, this message is a stumbling block, and to the Gentile, it is foolishness, but yet those who are called. So this introduces the second category of calling. This is an effectual call. This word call in the Greek literally means a summoning from the Lord. It is the act of God summoning his people. And we know this because the general call of Christ crucified was already established as foolishness and a stumbling block to these same two categories of people. But this secondary call mentioned by Paul has a sovereign and divine effect enacted by the Holy Spirit. It is the same word used, call, in Romans 8.30. And those who he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. And here's what we mean by effectual call. This is a definition from the London Baptist Confession of Faith. Excuse me. The definition of, of effectual call is to those whom God has predestined unto life. He is pleased in his appointed and accepted time 
to effectually call by his word and spirit out of the state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their will and by his almighty power, determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Bert, Louis Burkhoff says this, having concerning effectual call, having received the spiritual ear, the call of God and the gospel is now heard by sinners and is brought home effectively to the heart. The desire to resist has been changed to a de desire to obey, and the sinner yields to the persuasive influence of the word through the operation of the Holy Spirit. So in summation, Paul preaches the gospel to Jews and Gentiles universally. He calls them to repentance and faith. Both Jews and the Greeks collectively reject this message. But yet, according to verses 4, those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So in other words, out of those same two categories of individuals they, who both equally reject the universe, universal call of the gospel, there are God's elect amongst them in which he then causes the message to turn from foolishness and a stumbling block into the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is a complete sovereign work of God, and the text mentions nothing at all about man being convinced and persuaded according to their own free will and believing this message. Rather, the text says the complete opposite. No one believes the message except those who are effectually called by God. The two categories of calling must be emphasized and realized within this text. You cannot say that the secondary call that is mentioned is the exact same call as Paul preaching Christ and him crucified. The universal call of preaching Christ crucified is external to all men and rejected by Jews and Greeks in the text. The secondary call are God's elect drawn out or called out from the same two categories that rejected the gospel. They are then regenerated, given faith to believe the message. Hence, it becomes the power of God and the wisdom of God. Like to respond or... Yeah, you're, you're, you're finished there, right, Dan, with your yep, well done. introduction? Yes, okay, now we're just going to open this up for back and forth there. So, uh, Christopher, go ahead, and uh, okay. we'll, we'll leave it up with you guys for the next uh, 20 minutes. Uh, first, I want to say... Well, uh, Chris, you're, mute. you're, you're muted. You muted yourself buddy. there, Chris. <clears throat> My mom keeps calling me. Oh. I mean, I'm that uh, no one is called to salvation. And I'm only, I want to not recant that statement, but kind of clarify what I meant. I, I do believe that people are called. I believe everyone, and this is where I think we differ, but I do believe that there is a call to salvation. That is true. So I, 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 when, I said, when I said that statement that there is no one called to salvation, I, I was speaking in the terms of how I think you guys believe it. And correct me, and I think is is along the lines of what you just said that some are elected to salvation, and that's what I meant. I don't agree with that. The Bible says that, that there are individuals that who are set out, who are set apart before time for salvation, and that's what I meant by no one is called. But I do believe that we are all called to the gospel when it's preached. Um, in this passage, though, um, when we talk about you talk about the word call, uh, and which is a good good because I think that's where we 
have a different, will be different because um, I do believe that the word called is where we, uh, the, the definition for it is, you were right in saying that the word call means to be called to salvation, but it also means when you look it up, it has uh, two meanings. It can be called to salvation or called to service. And I think that, uh, so it depends on the verse that you're looking at. I don't think what we don't, you, you're right. We don't see anyone mm. saying, I'm convinced of my own power in this verse. Those words aren't, aren't in there. But what's also not in there is that someone was called before the foundation of the world, was set apart before the foundation of the world, called the elect for salvation. That's not in there either. So, but looking at the context of it, if we read this passage, verse 24 says, but unto them which are called, they're already called, both Jews and Greeks. I believe that's simply saying those who have believed out of the two groups, those who have believed, and that's who it's referencing. It doesn't say that it's referencing. It doesn't. There's nothing in this passage that reference anyone being called or being chosen before the foundation of the world for that call. I don't see that in the text at all. Okay, so what? So what are you asking me to, to clarify? What, what, what I would ask is, where do? You, how do you get that out of this text? Well, because first of all, there's nothing. There, there's nothing at all in these texts about being called unto service whatsoever. It's preaching no, no, Christ I, and Him. Go ahead. I would, go I'm ahead. sorry. I'm just giving you the two meanings. I didn't say that. That was that. That's not what you believe concerning these texts, then. No, that, no. That, I'm just that, giving you two meanings of call. That's all. Yeah. Okay, so your question then to me is. What's your restate your question to me? If you well, just from this text, how do you get someone being uh, considered being the elect set apart for salvation before the foundation of the world? And that's well, what this that's not explicit within this text. Okay, again, I I had to I had to leave the text, for example, and go to Romans eight thirty to give more of a substantial meaning to the word called. Um, I quoted my confession and so forth, and I kind of gave you a broad definition of what the word call means um, in the overall scheme of, in a, in a broader theological picture. Okay, so it's kind of a, uh, it's a given as far as what this call means within this context here. But I do think, though, the meaning gets fleshed out when we see those two distinct categories at play here of the general call of the gospel being proclaimed, again, foolishness in a stumbling block, and then but those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So it doesn't say, you're right, it doesn't say called or, or it doesn't say um, the elect from before the foundations of the world, but we know that the elect are those who are effectually called onto salvation. So you know, yes, you would have to build a definition based upon other texts in a more broader picture to uh, to, to have a, a a full grasp of that. Right. Yeah. And and, and and I think when I look at scripture, I see passages that call individuals to believe. And I don't, I don't, I don't. I, maybe you can explain for me when you say effectual call because I've never seen that it explained in scripture. And mm -hmm. if the, the call is to everyone, why can't everyone believe and cut and, and be a part of this group that 
uh, that is uh, who who accepted Christ. Well, that would go right back to the discussion we had last time, especially in Romans chapter 8, which we have two different interpretations of what those texts mean, of those who live according to the flesh cannot please God, that those according to Ephesians 2 are dead in trespasses and sins, that they're slaves to their sin. They, a slave cannot free himself. Those, uh, they are slaves to various pleasures and passions. Those who are dead in trespasses and sins must be raised to spiritual life. As Jesus says in John chapter six, that those who are given to him from the father, he will, he will raise up, uh, at the last day. So, yeah, but see, I think that fits into this text here. And that's really kind of the, the, the main position I'm defending in this particular section is to say that you're right. The general call does, does go out to everybody, but there is the general gospel or the gospel is generally proclaimed, universally proclaimed to both of these groups. But again, there is a specific call that is different than the universal call of the gospel. Though The universal call is an external call. This is an internal call. This is wrought by God. This is through the instrumentation of the word and the Holy Spirit being in being um, quickened in the life of of an individual who the Lord has determined to do this to. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's it's just go ahead. ahead. No, no, I I didn't mean to interrupt. So really, that is that's the main again, the main thrust of what I'm saying here is that this is a unique and distinct situation that is different than just somebody being persuaded to believe based upon this general call out of their own volition or their own free will. This is a specific effectual call concerning those in whom God has. Yes, he's chosen before the foundations of the world. I understand this text doesn't say that, but I believe that that is wrapped up into the definition of calling based upon broader theological principles. Okay, so when the, when you, we, we use the term called, mm-hmm. uh, is that requiring a response? Yeah, the response is, is in conversion. So God causes new birth. He, by the word, by the Holy Spirit, and like we've talked about, or like we discussed last time, he grants repentance he gives faith so there is a response but the response which i know me and you differ on this is after one is born again he's born again to believe he's he is brought unto spiritual life the word goes from foolishness and death and the aroma of death the fragrance of death to the fragrance of life based upon the soul sovereign monergistic work of god upon that individual so uh, that's that's what I believe. Verses twenty four is is um, describing in in practical terms, yeah. because it is a stumbling block. It is foolishness to those who are being generally called or universally called. It's like you go into a room. There's a hundred people in there, and you're preaching the gospel um, to all the individuals in there. It's foolishness and a stumbling block. But yet to those who are called. Okay, again, that has some theological background to it, that word called. There's, 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 there's meaning behind that word called. To those who are called, then all of a sudden it's the power of God and the wisdom of God, but yet it still remains, the gospel still remains stumbling block and foolishness to the others who are not called. So it's a distinct and separate situation 
than just a universal general call of the gospel. And that's what I'm seeing here in in these verses, uh, Christopher. I'm seeing that when he says, but we preach Christ crucified. I know it's just, you know, I'm, I'm reading the same thing again, but but listen to my perspective. I'm saying, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. So that's established by Paul. He preaches to them and it's a stumbling block and foolishness. Yet in that same realm, that same category or these same categories to those who are called. So something happens there that then causes the gospel to go from foolishness and a stumbling block. God calls. He effectually calls. He does something to them so that they receive the gospel, both Jew and Greeks. They receive the gospel with power and with wisdom and with joy. And I'm saying that that's a sovereign work of God that is different than man, just than the same first established category of everybody hearing the gospel universally. Right. And I would agree. We, we, we do agree on that. It is an established work of God. But I think where I have the issue is that work is, 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 has to be performed apart from the gospel. And I think that's where, because if, if, the, if, if they're preaching, there, there's a reason they're preaching Christ crucified. They're not preaching Christ crucified. If, 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 in other words, what you're saying is the person's heart has already been conditioned to receive the gospel, not conditioned by the preaching of the gospel. And, there, and I think that was the issue that we had last, that I had last time with in our discussion is that the gospel does no work in the heart. That the, the work is done, and then, and, then, and then on top of that, there is no passage that says God goes into the person's heart and changes it, other than through preaching the gospel. So I, I agree with you that it is work of God. I agree with you that God changes this person's heart. But when we use the word call, that, that, that points to a response. And that response could, uh, where we, I think with other areas we disagree, is that man has the capability of hearing that gospel and making the decision. Whereas, uh, because uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, according to the Calvinist teaching, no one has that ability until God fixes that person's heart. So in other words, the gospel is not the thing that's doing it. And so when they say we preach Christ crucified, it's saying that by preaching this message, this message that brings people to Christ, not I preach. In other words, it's like saying that, that God preaches, that the preachers are preaching Christ, that Paul preached Christ crucified. It does nothing. The, the message itself does nothing to me. So God says, well, these people that I've chosen, I want to fix their heart so they can accept the message. Then the message is not what's the power. The message is not and is in the, going by the scriptures in Romans one, that the message is the power of God. So it is that message itself that penetrates the heart and, and calls man to believe. And some reject that message and some accept it. That's what I was saying. All right. I'm going to I'm going to respond to that briefly, then I'm going to get back to our text. OK, so the, it's sim, it's a simultaneous act. God regenerates and simultaneously he effectually calls. Nobody has ever in reform in the reform position. We believe that no one ever is saved apart 
from the gospel that is always the means of salvation. Nobody, it is always the proclamation of the gospel and believing the gospel in which one is saved. It's just that God initiates by way of regeneration, the capacity to believe that gospel. Like the Lord opened up Lydia's heart to receive that which Paul was proclaiming unto her. It's Mm -hmm. the same situation that we see occurring here in like, you know, in this passage here. Um, the only time in reform, the only um, time in which some reformed individuals and in our conf- my confession, the London Baptist Confession, would say that some are saved apart from uh, the reception of the Word of God would be infants or mentally handicapped or individuals who who can't, yeah. yeah yeah who can't um, rationally understand and so forth. Uh, right. Other than that, it is always. First Peter chapter one at play that we are born again through the word. They are so harmonious, regeneration, effectual call, um, the gospel proclamation and God effectually calling his elect. It's, it's so interwoven together that it's almost to be spoken of as one and the same. But again, these are doctrines, Christopher. Maybe, maybe you should look into a little more to get an understanding of I will. these things, you know, to, and maybe that then would help clarify some of this, because, again, we're jumping into these texts. We have we have theological presuppositions kind of, um, you know, on our side or, or we're bringing certain assumptions to the table as far mm-hmm. as defining these words in a certain way, which can get a little confusing for the both of us at times. Um, but I, again, though, to get back to the text, um, what do you th- okay? Let me just ask some questions about the text to you, sure. if that's all right. Yeah, sure. Well, so, so what do you see a differentiation then between the called in um, verses 24 mm-hmm. and those in which Paul says that he preaches Christ crucified initially? Or do you see that as the same call? How do you define that then? I, You've heard I my definition. See- How do you see it? I definitely see that there is a, a different because it says in verse uh, in, 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 the, in the beginning in the earlier earlier verses that it, it's a stumbling block to the Jews and the Greeks. So we agree that uh, um, the ones that the, that spoken of in verse twenty four obviously is a different group of people out of that group than the ones that is considered a stumbling block. But, I, but what, what I can't I can't connect in from this passage is that oh for actually. From any passage that someone was called to that position before hearing the gospel, and that's my issue. I believe the text. The text it's focused on preaching Christ crucified. Yet you're trying to establish to me that this passage is suggesting that these people were called to salvation prior to hearing and believing the gospel. Okay, well, so for example, not not to deviate from the text, but just to put some kind of a backdrop to this. I read to you Romans 8.30, those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he justified, and then he will glorify. Yeah, So I, I have a take on that. I don't want to jump off this passage. Right. But, um, so, but, I mean, maybe just, discuss I, that. I, Okay, I'm I'm striving to answer your question as far yeah. as you not being able to see this call as something that is a predetermined situation from God or or a sovereign 
um, a sovereign choosing of individuals effectually from God. You're seeing it all just kind of as the same broad general group of individuals and they believe. Um, so it's, so explain to me then what the situation is here. Okay. Paul's mm -hmm. preaching Christ crucified mm -hmm. to the Jews and Greeks. Okay. And then, so what happens then? What goes on? What is Paul trying to explain? What's his point in this text then? That out of that group, there are some who believe the message. That's the only thing I can ascertain from that. And I, I don't, I, I mean, if I can just briefly go back to that passage in Romans 8 where you talk about predestination, mm -hmm. that passage about predestination is nowhere in that passage. And we can look at that if you like, but, you know, I don't want to deter. Um, it's talking, it's not talking about predestined from before the foundation of the world. Is that passage is actually going from the future to the present. But, you know, we can look at that if you want, but, you know, and that's why I can't by using that by using that verse. I, I, I interpret that verse differently than you. And that's why I'm, when you go to Romans 8, that's to me, it's not convincing me that this is saying that because that verse itself isn't teaching that message as well. OK, so you're saying then that. OK, so in verses 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jew and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called. So you're seeing that as having something to do with the first situation at play. Right. The, because he's starting off with, we preach Christ crucified. So mm -hmm. when, we, when he says that we're preaching that message, that's the focal point. And, and, and what I'm looking at is he's preaching that message for a reason. And that reason is to reach the, those that he's preaching to. But uh, if, I, if, I, if I may take what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, even though he's preached, he preached that message, even to those who you consider to be the elect, they can't respond to it unless they have first been elected and then conditioned to believe. Well, yeah, I mean, that's I wouldn't say that's the the main point of what I'm saying. I mean, that's that's true that only God's elect will be the ones who respond to the gospel based upon God's sovereign determination of such of such. But my point, my point in this is that this verse gives credence to the fact that there is a particular, that this, this is emphasizing those who are called both from Jews and Greeks, which is different than the general call. Okay? That we but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ. So I'm saying, but but here's here's the problem is that again, Paul preaches the gospel. The Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom. Um, we preach Christ crucified. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm saying, how does it then turn from a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles? How then all of the sudden is it Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, when it's already established that the gospel is foolishness and, and a stumbling block? Yes. What happens then that all of the sudden that's not true and and it's the power that, that the gospel then is actually um, the power of God and the wisdom of God? Because I, I believe I can show uh, through scripture that one gets to, to that point by believing what they hear there will you, i don't believe you can find a passage that said these people accept this message because god conditioned them to do that that's not in scripture 
Only the only thing I ever see in scripture is they that you must believe. They believe it. And you're saying that they're believing it because they are conditioned to believe. And then and by saying that, then the message is not doing the work. In the Bible, according to scripture, that the, 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 the gospel message that the fact that Jesus died on the cross, was crucified, was buried and resurrected, that message is the power of God. Not in other words, he doesn't he doesn't enact a power to change the heart and then uses the gospel. The gospel is that power to change the heart. Okay, what and do you mean by but, but then we have to go into a uh uh, free will and all that, and then right. Okay, so what do you mean condition? You said that those who I believe are, you know, in this verse, verse twenty four. But to those who are called from both Jew and Greek, you said that they're conditioned to believe. What do you mean by condition? Well, to believe? I mean, I'm correct. I don't want to mis misrepresent your position, so correct me if I'm wrong. Stop me in the middle, but but I, I when I say condition. I, I, it's my understanding that Calvinists believe that no one, whether it be elect or not elect, can has the ability to hear the gospel message and accept it because of their what's said to be our dead nature. So, in other words, when the gospel is preached and before God acts in a person's heart, nothing happens. So, in that, from what I'm understanding, as you can be saying, correct me if I'm wrong, those who he has chosen before the foundation of the world, according to Calvinists, he then does something in their heart. He changes their heart. He, he, he changes their heart from a, a place where they can't accept it or understand it to a place where they can accept it and understand it. And right, then the gospel is preached. Okay. And so that's what I mean by their heart is conditioned. And so but that is not the gospel doing the work. That's that's not them believing based on what they hear. That's be them believing based on them being conditioned to. Well, there is a difference between regeneration and salvation. So nobody is uh, nobody again is saved apart from the gospel, apart from believing Jesus Christ uh, dying for sinners and rising from the dead. So, so Christians actually do believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is the power of, of um, the gospel that saves. It's just that God grants us faith to believe that. He gives us repentance. He grants us faith to believe that. But, okay, so, again, and I'm sure our time is almost up here. Um, yeah, just a few so more just, minutes. So I'm still kind of confused, Christopher, within this text here. Okay. So walk me through this. Help me to understand your position again. So Christ is preached to the Jews and to the Gentiles. It is already established in this text that it is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Absolutely. Are you, are you saying that, that that is or is not true? No, that's true. I agree okay. with that. We agree on that. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, all of them are called, right? right? Exactly. Okay, so then what is the difference in your mind between verses 24 and verses 22? And, or, and, sorry, and, verses 23, rather. And this is why I chose Ephesians 1 4. And I think that by how I explain that, we, we get an understanding of this passage that the only way anybody, according to scripture, 
can be a Christian or saved is for them to believe the, the, the gospel message that is preached. We preach Christ crucified. There is a reason if there is a reason that message is essential. That message in itself, according to Romans 1:16, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we understand that that message is necessary. But when you say that that message is preached and no one has the ability to understand it, then there is no power in that message. Then they have to, so then they have to be conditioned outside of the, of the gospel message to then understand the gospel. Then All right, there's but no Christopher, I'm asking you what your position is, not for you to explain to me what my position is. No, that's my position. My position is that the gospel message is what caused them to believe and be saved. But it says it's already established that it is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Paul preaches. Mm -hmm. They all hate it equally. Jews and Greeks, they hate it. It's a right. stumbling block. It's foolishness. Okay, that's already established. Mm -hmm. So then when Paul says, but to those who are called, this can't just mean Paul. This can't mean that Paul is contradicting himself and saying, actually, those same groups of individuals decided those. It's already established that it's foolishness and a stumbling block. He then doesn't go on to say from both Jews and Greeks, they just decided to not make it a stumbling block and not see it as foolishness and believe out of their own free will. It's already established that they're dead. They hate it. But to those who are called, there's something happening here from God himself. He calls, he summons those who are called both Jews and Greeks from those same two categories. Mm -hmm. The gospel then becomes the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's, right. it's, it says nothing in the text about, about those who are about these Jews and Greeks on, you know, all of a sudden being persuaded about the gospel. It says that it's a fool. It's foolishness and a stumbling block to them. So, all right, we're going to, we're, we're, we're at the end of that, that first block. So I'm going to let Christopher go ahead and, and respond to that. And then we'll let you pick up and we'll move into Ephesians one, four for 30 minutes. Okay. Well, I, I simply just, I believe, I believe, uh, we have we will definitely have to go outside of First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter one verse uh, chapter one uh, verse twenty two to twenty five kind of get kind of grasp I didn't want to go too far into different scriptures and, and feel like we were leaving the text. And I, I, I know you want to deal with the text, and so the text is kind of vague. It, it, I agree that it doesn't say it doesn't the words aren't there. That these people were convinced by the gospel, but ne neither does it says. Uh, these people were chosen before the foundation of the world, which you agree to. So we would have to go outside the text, uh, this particular text, to get to kind of get some uh, cohesiveness to what the the, the the scripture as a whole uh, projects. And, and from what I from what I understand, just from looking at scripture without going to the text, that believing the gospel is required by the individual. The word "call" connotes a response. If someone is called, that means that their a response is needed. You, you, they're not called but can't answer, or they're not called but have nothing. They can't hear. If they can't understand, the gospel is 
calling them, they can't understand it, then they're not being called. They're being conditioned. And so what I'm saying is, so if there's a call, there has to be a response. And that's why I say. All right. All right. But you get it. Okay. But it's uh, Ricky. I don't. Uh, I, there's so much. There's a, more right. things to say. But it's fine. Right. It's fine. Well, well, we'll move into Ephesians one four now, or the first chapter of Ephesians. Right. Christopher, go ahead, and you have up to seven minutes. Take the uh, that time if you need it. But explain your position on Ephesians one, and then Dan, you can ask him some questions and interact based upon that. Okay, right. you got it. Okay, on Ephesians one and four, I want to read uh, verses one through four that we can get a kind of get understanding. Mm-hmm. It says, uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And the reason I want to address this passage because it's being it's been used uh, primarily by Calvinists to preach that this passage is su- suggesting that God selected <clears throat> certain individuals before the foundation of the world because that that terminology is using is used in this in this passage for salvation. The text never says that, and 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 the phrase in Christ used in this passage if it's not a individual uh it's not in, in other words god before the foundation of the world say uh ricky gans you're in christ uh, dan you're in christ chris you're in christ sally you're in christ in, it, but this is a more of a, cor- a corporate thing and it is the plan of god and then that pl- that plan was established before the foundation of the world for all those who will be in Christ. And that's where I think the confusion is. No one can be in Christ, literally in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Uh, and I can prove that by going to, if you go over to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 12, it, it, it clearly shows you that the same people that Christ, that Paul was talking to, it says that at that time, you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So there was a point when these people were not in Christ, were physically, individually not in Christ. The same people they were speaking to in chapter one. But but then verse 13 says, the first two words is the key. But now, but now means presently, at that present time, it says, uh, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. That's how you get in Christ. So that passage in Roman Ephesians 1 and 4 is not saying that these people were individually chosen by name before the foundation of the world for salvation, which the text never says. It's talking about that all believers were, were to be established to be holy and, and, and a blessing in his sight. In Christ before the foundation of the world. The key word is in Christ, and it's used uh, multiple times throughout this cha- chapter, chapter one, about different spiritual things, the spiritual blessings that come to believers. It's not just that. So um, I think that is the misinterpretation of Ephesians 1 and 4, 
It never says anyone is chosen for salvation before the foundation of the world. It says, it says if, if I'm reading correctly, it says that uh, we, we, are, we, are, we are chosen, uh, he has chosen us, meaning all believers, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And that's what the text is saying. No one is in Christ. If they were, if they were in Christ before the foundation of the world, then, then someone would have to explain to me how they got out of Christ. Because according to Ephesians 2, 12, they were not in Christ until the shedding of the blood. That's it. I'm done, Dan, so you can. Uh... Okay, Ricky, how do you want this to go then? Uh, next just, you can just have interaction off of what he's ex explanation of Ephesians one is. You can ask him some questions on your understanding of Ephesians one and, and discuss it for the next uh, twenty minutes or so. Okay, so you're saying okay, particularly we're pressing down on verses four, which is which is fine, but it's also in one hand unfortunate because so much of the explanation or the answer uh, um, to some of the the point the affirmation or conclusion that you have i think is answered as we would go along in this chapter it's mm -hmm. um so to press down on that, that one okay, i'm not so, i'm not opposed to it okay um so you're saying that okay verses four even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world um i would agree with you that that does mean christians particularly because the apostle paul says in his introduction that he writes this letter to the saints who who are in ephesus and faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he right. then he goes on to say that those Christians, that Christians are chosen in him, in Christ, before the foundations of the world, so that they would be holy and blameless before him. Uh, so on one hand, I have no problem saying that Christians were, I, I believe that Christians were chosen before the foundation of the world. They were predestined, according to verses 5, for adoption to himself, as sons through Jesus Christ. Um, I, I don't have a problem, you know, with that necessarily. Okay. Well, I, I, will, I mean, if, it, if it's okay with you, can we venture to verse five? Because I think by explaining that we can get a better understanding. Yeah, I think, you know, we can, we can take this as far as you want. I, my notes here are, are trying to be as direct as I can on verses four, but but again, yeah. I, I'm happy to do, you know, work through as much as this as you want. That's fine. Because that predestination word keeps coming up. So I was like, and because if we look at predestination in scripture, it's mentioned in this twice in this chapter and twice in Romans chapter eight. And it's never, and I repeat, never speaking of individuals that were predestined from the past. Never. No one was predestined to the adoption of, of, of and as verse five says, uh, to the adoption of children, adoption of sons, because that's not being, the understanding is, first there's a false understanding about the adoption of sons or the adoption of children. That's not, that phrase does not mean someone is being saved. That's a future event. That's something that, that happens, the adoption of sons is, is, is explained and defined in Romans chapter eight, verse 23. If we go to that passage, it explains the, the, what the adoption is. It says, uh, and, and not only they, but all, 
ourselves also, which have the, the fruit, the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of the body. That's what the adoption of sons is. We have the spirit of adoption in Romans 8, 15, but we don't have the adoption. The adoption is the redemption of the body. That can only happen for that, for one who has believed that is a future event. When it says we are predestined in verse 29, it says we are predestined to the image of the son. That's the only way you can be predestined to the image of the son is you have to first be saved. So that, pre that predestination, yes, is predetermined, predetermined from the time they are saved to the point of when they receive the, the become in the image of Christ. That is a future event. That's not speaking of from the past to salvation. That's speaking from a person that already saved to being uh, in the image of the son or being the redemption of the body. And so, and that's where we get, I think, most get a misunderstanding of predestination in scripture. It has nothing to do with past, chosen from the past for salvation. It has to do with the person in the present, after being saved, being predestined to the, the uh, adoption of the body or being um, um, in the image of the son. And that's what the text says. Well, I would agree with you that nobody is adopted until they're united to the Lord Jesus Christ. Adoption is rolled up into union with Christ. But you're saying predestination is something that is, um, yes, they're, they're predetermined unto adoption. But yet in verses four, it says that those whom he has, who he will predestine have been chosen before the foundations of the world. So this is something that happens outside of. This this isn't in time. This is he chose us in him before the right. foundations of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him, which is the fruit of the spirit. That's that's the fruit of being a Christian. Holy and blameless before him uh, is something that occurs within Christianity in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself. So I think the predestination, the predetermined destiny uh, for for adoption has been established before the foundations of the world, as it says in verses four. So I, I can ask you a question. When you, when, when verse, in verse four, when it says that, that we, we were chosen in Christ, what mm -hmm. does that mean? How do you define that? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, um, I would define what that. They in Christ, I would say. Well, they weren't in Christ before the foundations of the world. We get into Christ by faith um, in time in this world. Uh, so they were chosen in him in the sense that he had determined their salvation. He predestined them unto salvation for adoption to himself as th sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. What do you see salvation in there? I don't see salvation it says that he predestined us for adoption again that adoption is wrapped up into our union with christ nobody is adopted outside of salvation he adopted right. for adoption to himself as sons through jesus christ that, that's right. christian language so, so that is salvific language yes so if they're predestined to the adoption of sons they could not have been predestined before they were saved the determinate the the destination that is predetermined is that they would have adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Those who he chose before the foundations of the world 
to be holy and blameless before him, he predestined them for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. I, I agree. But see, what I'm, what I'm trying to get you to see is those people that he's speaking of in chapter four, in verse four are saved people. He was, and he was not saying that he chose them for salvation. They were saved people. The, we tell, their, 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 their means of being saved is not because they were chosen. Their means of being saved is like everyone else. They had to believe in the gospel. So before they were saved, they were lost. That's why I went to Ephesians chapter 2 and said they were without Christ. They, were, they, were, they had no hope. So if they if they were chosen before the foundation of the world for salvation, then they did have hope. So then what does it mean for you that they were chosen before the foundations of the world? Or I'm sorry, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. What does that, that mean that they would be holy and blameless before him? But I believe it's a corporate calling for those who will be in Christ. It was established before the foundation of the world in Christ. Not see, we're looking at we're looking at the word us as if there was a particular group of people that was established in Christ. When it's basically what it's saying is the saints, whoever will come to believe in the future. That established that 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 was established that we would be holy and blameless in his sight was established in Christ before the time beginning of the world. Not that we were individually selected for salvation. That's not in the text. That's not there. So you're so so you're saying then that even as he chose us, which the us again, Paul addresses Christians. He's writing to the those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Yes. And he goes on to say that even as he chose us Christians, the Ephesian church, the apostles, he chooses the Ephesian them, church, the, the Corinthian church, the, the church right. in Rome. All he believers. chooses them before the world existed, before the Not foundations to- of anything. Mm-hmm. chooses them in Christ that we should be holy and blameless before him. Right. You're, you're saying what about that text? Other than the, the fact the, that God has chosen those whom he chosen for salvation, those whom he would bring unto salvation in time before the foundations of the world. I mean, what, what, are, you, what are you saying is different than that? I'm, I'm saying, saying go ahead. The text never talks about being chosen for salvation. That's, added to the text that's not there that's the, not, christopher the, that's not added to the text yeah I'm saying that we there. should be it says that he chose Where us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless right. before him right it doesn't say so that unbelievers we be, are holy and blameless before him absolutely but they are believers already they're not the text doesn't the text isn't suggesting that these people are chosen to be saved that's not what the text is saying at all the text is directed to people who are already saved. So he chooses. So then what is what it, even as he chose us in him? OK, before the foundations of the world. Right. What, what does that mean? Def, explain to me what you believe that that means. We, we can't look at that as if it is talking about a particular group of people It's talking about whoever believes in the future. 
In other words, they're, it's a, they're speaking from the present about something that was de determined in the in the past in Christ. Not it's a corporate thing, not an individual thing. So we can't. It's not. It's not like he. Because who is he talking to when he says us? Is he, is he talking to just, is he talking about just the church in Ephesus? He's talking about everybody who believes. Whoever you are, that, that you're, we, are, we were established to be holy and blameless in his sight in Christ before the foundation of the world. Just like it says in 1 Peter, it says, for as, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversion received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as in lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Who was? Christ was. But was manifest in these last times for you who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. So we talk, and if you go on, we are born again through the word of God, but you see that it is Christ that was established before the foundation of the world, not individuals. But so, yet again, but again, Christopher, the text says explicitly, even as he chose us, God chose Christians in Christ before the foundations of the world that they would be holy and blameless. Exactly. Then, then there was exactly. I can say yeah. the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. But that's that's what occurred. God chose Christians before the foundations of the world that they would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined them. There was a predetermined destiny that they would be that they would be for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according but, to the purpose of his will. So you're saying that a plan was chosen or that that Christians actually weren't chosen. It was it was something other than that. I'm saying what I'm saying is, uh, according to Calvinists, they you guys teach that there are individuals who are selected for salvation before the foundation of the world. And this and correct me if I'm wrong. And this text is used to solidify that thought. I'm saying this passage does not suggest that at all because it's not talking about individuals. It's not talking about specific individuals. It's talking about Christ. We're looking at it as if it's pointing to specific individuals to be selected for salvation. It's not talking about that at all. It's talking about whoever is believer, whoever is going to believe. It's a, it's a corporate thing, but the, the, the focus should be on in Christ, not on us. We got to be. Well, why can't the focus be. be but Chris, why can't the focus be on both, even as he chose us in him? Well, who is the us then? Christians. Those which, whom which the Christians? Lord determined to be saved. Those whom are that were predestined, according to verses five, for adoption but, to himself. Or no in verses 11. Or in verses 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. But see, you're, 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 you're pouring your, your, your interpretation into the word predestined as if it was before the world began. It, that's not when we were, we cannot be predestined to an inheritance. We cannot be predestined to the adoption of the body. We cannot be predestined to be in the image of Christ before we are saved. That Why not? Because, because we're not saved. Only a person that is saved 
I know, but the text isn't saying that, Chris. It's saying that they were determined that that it was predestined. It, it was predetermined that they would receive adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Not that before the foundations of the world that they were saved, but rather in time they would be saved. That is the destination that was predetermined by God from the foundations of the world as he chose Christians before anything was established at okay. all before they existed. Then I would have to ask again, and that's Ephesians 2 and 12. That at that hey, time, hey, what you said, Ephesians, that's what? Ephesians 2 and 12. Okay, I don't have that in front of me, so you have to read that. Okay, the, at that time, speaking <clears throat> to the same people that he spoke to in chapter one, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the commonwealth of, of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. If they were predestined for adoption to be saved to all this before the foundation of the world, then why is it that they don't have hope at some point in before this point? Because they didn't have hope. In other because words, they're, what, what, they're what, lost. What, what, exactly. So if they're right. lost, they can't be pre if they had no hope, if they have no hope then they're not predestined from, from the beginning of the world to anything, but, but, but death and hell. The only time they can be predestined to any of those things is after the blood of Christ. So it's not saying that passage is not, that's why I said it's, it's the predestination is not from the, from the beginning of the world. The predestination is from the point of conversion to the future. That's when they were predestined. These he has predestined. Who, who, who has he predestined? Those who have believed. Once they believe, now they're predestined to the adoption. You can't be predestined to the adoption and you don't believe. So you, nobody's words, saying, saying that. Huh? Nobody yeah. is saying, saying that at all. You're saying they were predestined before the foundation of the world, right? Yes, according to Ephesians 4 and 5. Yes, I am. No, that's, the, exactly. that's, not, that's not when they were predestined. The, Ephesians 4 and 5 never say they were predestined before the foundation of the world. It never says that. It says That's that he chose us in him before the foundations the of the world. Right. And then in love, it goes on just to extrapolate. It's just explaining yeah. more. It's further bringing, it's bringing forth more. Um, it's substantiating that by saying that he predestined us for adoption. So in verses 4, we were chosen before the foundations of the world that we would be holy and blameless. And then, again, it's just Paul extrapolating. He's just building up the argument, the, the uh, affirmation here. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. He already established that the predestination was something that occurred before the foundations of the world. The choosing was before the foundation of the world. That would, The choosing, the result would be that we would be holy and blameless before him. He predetermined before the foundations of the world, according to verses 4, that we were uh, predetermined, or sorry, that he predestined us for adoption to himself. It's it's all it's the same sentence. Or but you're looking flows. at it. I think you're looking at it individually, though. You're looking at it as if they. You're, you're looking at that as if he is speaking to those who are the elect. But also, though, as far as you to kind of go back to your point, as far as a lost person having no hope, but that's what Ephesians 2, 1 and following says as well. Those who were dead in trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, sons of disobedience, children of wrath, 
but God makes them alive. And so, of course, somebody in their fallen condition in Adam is without hope. Uh, they're bound for hell. That's right. just the facts of, of the nature <laughs> of somebody outside of Christ. But he's okay. saying, but he's saying that there is those who will be adopted, who he has determined that he will adopt exactly. to himself as sons. And those were those in whom he had chosen in him, in Christ, before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless. Right. They will be adopted. They will be, they will have an inheritance, heavily inheritance. I agree with that. But, but you're saying, what I'm trying to get you to see is that Calvinists teach that there are, there are specific individuals who have that hope prior to creation. Say right? that again. Say that again. Sorry. You guys believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that there are specific individuals who have that hope of, of being in the image of Christ, of being adopted son, being a redemption of the body, the heavenly inheritance prior to creation. Well, they don't, uh, how do I answer this? Um, the, uh, again, in Adam being dead in trespasses and sins, have, um, they, they don't, no, they have no hope. They acknowledge, like, unbelievers have no hope whatsoever. But again, according to God's sovereign decree, his predetermined purposes, in time, they would be saved, and then they would have hope, I suppose. Yeah, so you could look at but it that see, way. But but the unbeliever doesn't acknowledge that he's the elect and has hope because he has been chosen before the foundations of the world. Well, I understand that it's not acknowledged by the unbeliever, but you're saying that if God decreed it, uh -huh. If God said this individual will be saved, then and that is determined prior to creation. Right. That yes. individual has hope for salvation. Okay. That I mean, yeah, that I, not only do they have hope for salvation, but they will most definitely be saved. And verses 14, or sorry, 13 to 14 says. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Right. So not only will they have hope, but they will have the guarantee of their inheritance by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So it's more after. than hope. It's it's um, it's, it's after. But you, the beginning of that text says after they heard the word of, of, of God, the, of salvation, the, the gospel, after believing. Look, Chris, that's going to take us back to First Corinthians chapter one, twenty-two through twenty-four again, though. That's I mean, but how do you deal with that? I mean, I mean, if, if in other words, what I'm trying to get you guys to see is that you're there are you're saying that there are people who are guaranteed heaven prior to 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 Adam's sin to Christ's death on the cross, and if that's the case, how was that? Where does that leave the gospel? That is my biggest issue. Because in Romans, in Romans 5.18, it says, therefore, as by, by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. That would include those who are the elect. How can they be condemned to death after Adam's sin, but guaranteed life before Adam's sin? That's a contradiction. You right, can't so be guaranteed salvation and life and condemned to death at the same so time. So then because of those points of contention that you have christopher 
then you simply don't like what Ephesians 4 and 5 has to say or the position that we hold to. When I say plainly that even as he chose Christians in Christ before the foundation, he chose Christians in Christ before the foundations of the world, that they would be holy and blameless before him. The choosing of Christians before the foundations of the world troubles you, does it not? It's not that it troubles me. It's the it's the interpret. It's uh, what I'm trying. To, I'm trying to get, in that, and maybe I'm I may be uh, misunderstanding. But when you say he chose Christians, correct me if I'm wrong. You guys believe that those people are individually selected. Definitely. So if they're individually, uh, let you guys know we got about five minutes. Five okay. Minutes. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm gonna just gonna I'm gonna do my I'll I'll, I'll let you um, respond to me then I'll do my post my. Fine. Um, so, okay, you said ind- individually selected. Yeah. Yes, we t- we absolutely believe that, and we believe that that is that. Again, that's a, that's a broader concept that that needs to be fleshed out in in other in a, at another point with with a broader you know theological backdrop to it. But I'm saying that these texts, this text here in in um four and five. Make that explicit and plain. I, I just can't see, Chris, how you don't see how at least how I'm seeing that. Okay, at the very least, let alone what I believe the plain meaning of the text is. That that here's I'll just say it one more time, then I'll stop talking. Then we we can end it at this. If unless you want to, you know, if you want to respond, that's fine. All I'm saying is is that this letter, the audience is established that these are faithful. Those who are in Ephesus, faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to explain that even as he, God, chose us, the Christians, in Christ, he chose them when? Before the foundations of the world, that they would then in time be holy and blameless before him. They couldn't be holy and blameless before the foundations of the world. No, that couldn't be true. It had to be in time because in love he predestined, he determined that they would be for adoption, which is in salvation, which or which is in union with Christ. Uh, oh, I just lost my notes. Where are we at here? Sorry, Chris, just lost my notes here. Okay, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. It's Christians are chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world, that in time they would become holy and blameless in their existence when they're saved. He predestined that this would occur. He predestined them to adoption to himself as sons, according to the counsel of his will. That's just, you know, that's just the plain meat reading of the text. You know, it doesn't say anything about a plan being established. It's not choosing a plan. It's not Christ who is chosen. It's Christians sovereignly chosen. All right. That's all I got to say. That's all I'm going to say. I thought he fell too. What was that? Amber alert or something? Did you say your phone fell over? No, yours did. It looked like you fell out of your chair or something. Oh, whoops. Okay. I thought you said your phone also fell over. Maybe I I did fall out of my chair. I understand coming into this conversation that we probably would. You you would say, oh, Chris, I I get it. You're right. But I I, I hope that, and I'm not trying, I hope my, my assertions that I'm not. I didn't see the meaning to your 
You're sounding you're, you're, you're sounding kind yeah. of low, Chris. I can't hear you very well. How about now? No, it's it's a little it, it's a little rough, but I can I can hear you. Okay, I just wanted to say that I, I hope I wasn't sounding demeaning. I'm not trying to demean um in, in any way, but I just I think we're just gonna have to agree to disagree on this one for now, and maybe we can uh, come at it in a different perspective with, with the scripture. But I believe that we were chosen for the foundation of the world corporately, in other words, not individually. That and I think the key words in that passage throughout that whole chapter is in Christ. That everything was established in Christ before the foundation of the world, and we came along after creation, after believing. And that was, and that's what I, I think the text is saying that we were. Everything is established in Christ, and that was determined by God before the foundation of the world. I don't believe that the text is suggesting that individuals were chosen for salvation before the foundation of the world. I believe that Christ was the one who was, who was, who was selected. That we were, everything was to be in Christ, and that was select, that was determined. Before the foundation of the world, and, uh, and, I, and, that, and that's what I believe. And, uh, so I'll leave it at that. All right. So that pretty much comes down to the end of a time. Uh, Christopher's audio was a little rough there at the end. I don't know what happened when Dan dropped his phone or whatever. It seemed like <laughs> it knocks Christopher's audio out. But uh, but if if I can kind of summarize what I think Christopher's saying there, because um, it was kind of hard to hear that at the end. Uh, is that it's not that people are chosen individually for salvation in this text, but that they're chosen for a purpose in this text. So God has predetermined before the foundation of the world that he was when these people who come to Christ by faith, they will become adopted. They will be holy. They will be blameless. And Christopher's shaking his head. So I think that's what he was attempting to say there is it's not that. Um, they're chosen for salvation, but that they're chosen, those who, he, he's before the foundation saying, those who believe in me, those who by their, and, and he believes in free will, by their free will come to faith in Christ, they will receive adoption, they will be holy, they will be blameless before me. Um, that's what I think he's saying? Yeah. Correct? Yeah, pretty okay. much. All right. And I mean, um, I don't know, maybe we can set some more up of these or, or we'll see. But uh, that's been the, the program for tonight. Um, I hope uh, it was enjoyable for you guys and edifying, kind of helping you think through some of these texts. Uh, obviously, we want to be students of Scripture. We want to get into the text and read them in its context and, and understand what's being said. And uh, hopefully you, the listener uh, or watcher, will uh, um, look at these texts and examine them uh, for what they are saying in the context in which they were written and to who they were written to. So that's been G220 Radio for the night. I hope you again will join us again on Tuesday as we continue our uh, series on spiritual disciplines. Until next time, uh, that'll be G220 Radio. God bless. Mm-hmm.